My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We're really, really glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us. Um, we're honored that you would choose to uh, spend Sunday, a Sunday morning worshiping with us. We don't take that lightly, and uh, we are just honored to have you. And uh, please let us know if you have any questions. There's a connect corner in the back corner of the room. If you have any questions, uh, um, we have uh, some connect cards back there as well with all more information about the church. Um, if you need any of that, any have any questions, feel free to find someone, me or someone back in that corner, and we'll answer any questions you may have. We're going to be uh, in Romans. Um, we're going to start in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. And it, there's some Bibles laying around you. Um, if you're going to use a, a Bible that's under the chair there, it's page 549. Um, they will be on the screens to my left and my right, the, the scriptures will be. But if you want a physical Bible, um, you can actually take the, that home. If you don't have a Bible at home, that's our gift to you. We feel like everyone should have a Bible and have access to a Bible at home. So please take that if you need a Bible. Um, Romans 5, verse 20. We're going to start here. We're going to go through six chapter, um, chapter 6, verse 14. So these 16 verses. 520. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the old body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let, sin, therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you that every week we come in here, whether it's prayer or um, worship through music or the sermon or communion. Um, I, I'm just thankful that you've given us your word. You've revealed yourself to us in your word. So when we come into this place, we don't have to be creative with our content. We don't have to pull things out of the blue to talk about. Um, you've given us your word and you revealed yourself in that. And so we're thankful for that. And um, we just, uh, we acknowledge that your word is, is powerful and it's um, inspired by you. It's perfect. It's sufficient for everything we need uh, for life and godliness, and, and we're thankful for that. So as we talk through your word, we, we, um, we look at your word now. We ask that um, we, would, we would allow the word to read us, and that we would kind of sit under the word and, um, and be open to what um, the Spirit has to say through us, uh, to us today through, 
through your word and that we would be changed. Even in the next 30 minutes or so, we would be changed by um, the words we read in the Bible. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing on in our sermon series, uh, walking through the book of Romans verse by verse. And this book is, is, is rich, it's important, and we are in the middle of it. And um, I think uh, as far as those of us who are preaching through it, we love it. We've, we've enjoyed going through it, and uh, today is no different. Very, very important passage we're going to read today. And the reason why I went back and read the last two verses of chapter 5 um, is because in an ideal situation, chapters 5 and 6 would never be separated. And as you're teaching it or reading it, chapters 5 and 6 are very important and they should go together. And Paul's uh, flow is to connect these two together. So I wanted to go back. We don't have enough time to, 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 to go through the whole book of Romans, obviously, in a Sunday, or even do more than uh, a few verses. But um, this is important in particular to go back and connect last week's sermon to this week's sermon. And actually moving from chapters 5 to 6 in Romans is, is arguably the most important transition in all of the scriptures. Um, it's really important to see Paul's, Paul's flow here and see what Paul's trying to get at here. And the, the great thing about Paul, the way he writes Roman, he, Romans, he's very logical. You can follow him very well. Things connect together. Um, and he is always anticipating questions that his, his readers or his audience may have. And these potentially are just uh, questions he's thought of and he is anticipating because he knows the culture really well. But it, probably it's that, but also he's, he's out doing per, his personal ministry. He's out during the day in the city walking around and understanding. And so he's probably been asked this question a few times. So as he's writing this letter to the church, he wants to make sure that he, he's kind of like, I know what you're thinking after I say this. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there and address it. And that's what we're going to see today. It's a great picture of that. In Romans 1 to 5, Paul has laid out arguably the most complete um, teaching on um, humanity and the gospel that, that is found in the scriptures, okay? And, and more specifically, he's talked the last few chapters about our justification, how we are brought back into right relationship with God the Father. And we've noticed that Paul has, hasn't really gotten into um, talking about how we are to live the Christian life got five chapters here and he really hasn't touched that. I think there's a reason why. He wants to make sure that we've grasped the love of God found in the gospel before he begins to show us what it looks like to live this life. He wants to make sure we get and we understand our justification in God, in Christ. And so before he starts talking about these other things, we have to be grounded in that. We have to get that we have to understand that. It's really, really important for us this morning to really understand what has happened in Romans 1 through 5 before we kind of turn the corner here in chapter 6 because Paul switches gears today and begins to talk more about what this actually looks like lived out. And more, if I could get more specific, he would say, um, at the, especially at the end of, of, of chapter 5, he wants us to really understand who Christ is and what he has done on our behalf that the law could never do. Blake talked about the law last week. There's limitations to the law, and um, Christ does things that the law cannot do. So let's look at Romans 5, verse 20 and 21. Paul says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here, here, here's the truth. Here's the important idea here that, that God demands human beings to be perfectly righteous. He does. He demands perfection. He be, demands righteousness to be in relationship with him because he is perfect and holy and righteous. This was, this was Genesis 1 and 2 before Genesis 3 happened and, and sin came into the world. Okay, We were perfectly righteous then before, um, before Adam and Eve came along. Um, before they fell, I should say. And we can't be righteous enough. In our own power, we can't be righteous enough to kind of earn our way back into good standing with God. And then you bring the law into the picture, and the law acts as a mirror, and it actually kind of shows us how sinful and how far we actually fall short. It lays out the commandments of God, and we, we can try to keep those perfectly, but we will fail. And it gives us even more a, clear, a, clear, a more clear picture of who we are and the fact that we fail when it comes to being perfectly obedient. And we're not perfectly righteous. And the law can't help us either. It just shows us how sinful we are. If the law could help, then, then, then we wouldn't need Jesus. But we can't um, be perfect even trying to live out the law. So we need something outside of ourselves to give us this perfect righteousness. We need a perfect righteousness to be reconciled back to the Father. And God supplies this righteousness in Jesus. And through faith, through faith, we believe in who Jesus is and what he has done. And through that faith and belief, God credits Jesus' righteousness to us. So as Christians, if we're Christians, we, we're, we're, we stand before God and God sees us. And he doesn't see our righteousness, which isn't impressive at all. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, which is perfect, is holy. Jesus was perfectly obedient in every way. He's got a perfect righteousness okay so we now are viewed by God as being righteous not our own righteousness but a righteousness that comes from Jesus and we are brought back into a relationship with God through faith and trust and belief and Paul's main point here at the end of chapter 5 is really we can do nothing morally to contribute to our to our salvation we could do nothing to contribute to God saving us He's the author and perfecter of our faith, of our salvation. And we really need to get that before we move into Romans 6. That we can do nothing to earn our way back into favor with God apart from Jesus. And so with that, with that, in that context, with that kind of frame, now we're going to move into chapter 6. And let's look at verse 1. So Paul's responding to what he just said. He's anticipating a question. Then he says the question. What shall we say then? Based off, of, based off of these things, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, the logic here then is that in, in verse 20, in, uh, chapter 5, verse 20, it says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So, so he's anticipating this question. Okay, Paul, let me get this straight. You're saying that like, so, so is it good to continue on sinning? Because it seems like the more... The sin is there, the more grace comes. The more we have grace, okay? And so I should continue on in sin. I should continue just to kind of live the life I normally would because that's, I'm going to get more grace that way. I'm going to have more grace if that continues to happen. Okay, this is, this is the logic here. And I think it's a, a good question based off of, of what we've seen here. 
He's saying, if this grace is so amazing, shouldn't we want more of it? It seems like the way to get more of it is just to continue on sinning. Right, Paul? Is that, is that what you're saying, Paul? Um, the fact that we've been reconciled to, to, back to God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and that can't be taken away from us. If it can't t- be taken away from us, won't, won't people just continue on in sin if they know that's secure? Paul, will that, will that happen, Paul? And, and old theologians, guys like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Stott, say that if, if our message isn't um, such that we are preaching the grace and the gospel of the Bible— we should be getting this question. If we're preaching grace, if we're preaching the gospel faithfully, this question should come. Because this, this grace, this idea that God reconciles human beings back to him that don't deserve it, who brought nothing to the table, that's scandalous. It's scandalous. It's hard to believe that such a love exists. Okay, And so if we're preaching that, that, that amazing grace, then I think the a logical question Paul thinks here is, well, then why wouldn't we just continue to live the way we're, we're living? It seems that's like what you're saying, Paul, here. So Paul is addressing that question. So really, the question for us as we consider our lives is, is this amazing grace that we've looked at in the past few weeks in, in, in Romans here, what does it have to do with our lives now? And what does it have to do with our lives as we move forward into the future. future. You can say it another way that does the gospel message in some way cause us to change? Does this grace cause us to change as we move forward? Or does this grace actually cause us to just con- to remain in the sin that we were in prior to our conversion to Jesus? And so those are the questions that, that are laid out before us. And Paul quickly answers the question in verse 2. With exclamation, he says, by no means. Or to translate it another way, how could you even think about this? Or are you serious? All those things is what Paul's trying to get at here. How can we, Christians, who died to sin, still live in it? Like How how can that happen? And the the illustration that kept coming to my mind this week, I don't know why, was one from the animal kingdom. Okay, So let's take cats and dogs. And let's just say that a, a cat was changed to a dog supernaturally. Okay, just in a blink of an eye, cat becomes a dog. Um, so you got cats who, who, who meow. Um, those of you who have your head in the sand, that's what cats say, if you needed to know that. Um, and um, they use a litter box, right? They aren't, they're, they're kind of standoffish. They like to do their own thing. They, they always have this look in their eyes like they know something that you don't. It's just really kind of creepy sometimes. It's like they're going to get the best of you. Then you have dogs, okay? No litter box. My opinion, not standoffish, warm, kind of submissive. You can see everything in their eyes. There's nothing hiding there. So you have dogs and cats here. And let's just say cats are changed to dogs. It would be like saying, like, well, well this, this dog now, what if, what if because it's a dog and it just changed so easy like that, what if that dog starts meowing? What what, what if the dog does the, the litter box thing? It, it's, it's silly in that illustration that that's not a dog. A dog's not going to do what a cat does because it's a dog now. The same way with what, what Paul's saying here. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay? So the dog isn't going to meow anymore. 
It's a dog. It's going to bark. That's, that's what the animal is now, okay? So if you are a Christian in here, you are, you are freed from the power that sin has over you. Now hear me, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin today. Okay, but this general power that sin has over our lives will be broken because you're a new creation. Okay, sin doesn't have its claws in us anymore because we're new creations. The old has passed away, the new has come. So Paul says, by no means. That's, that's the old self. That person, that part of that person is gone, is, is dead. Sin doesn't have power over that person. We're controlled by a different power now. And that power is grace and the Holy Spirit. And the gospel controls us now rather than sin. Okay? So moving on into Paul's logic here. Okay, Paul, that's great. I, I've died to sin. But how does that actually help me live this Christian life today? And, and into the future, okay? So I'm dead to sin, okay? So, so, so what? How am I supposed to live that out? Romans 6, 3 through 7 here, okay? And this is, he's going to give a, a metaphor, a picture here, okay? So the idea is we're dead to sin. Now Paul's going to explain and use some pictures and some imagery to help us get it. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So what Paul's trying to show here is if, if what, what does grace look like in the life of a believer? And he turns to these two ideas of baptism and union with Christ. Baptism and union with Christ. Baptism here can also mean immersed. So you can also read this. We were immersed into Jesus and we were immersed into, into his death with him. Okay, So that's really what baptism means literally. In verses 4 and 5, Paul's saying that if we were united with him in a death, we will also be united with him in his resurrection. Again, logically, okay? So if we're united in death, we're also going to be united with him in his resurrection because we're united with him in everything now. Okay, so we're united with him in his resurrection. And if you're continuing to have this conversation, this dialogue with Paul, okay, Paul, that seems weird. How are we united to Jesus in his resurrection? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? And we'll get to that in a few verses. But before Paul gets to there, he wants to reiterate in verse 6 this idea of being dead to sin. He says our old self, the body of sin, would be brought to nothing. Okay, so the point of all of this is that the old would pass away. The, the, the part of us that sin has its hooks in, its claws in, it's gone. It's dead. Sin has no power over us anymore because that part of us has died. So it's clear we're united to Jesus in his death and resurrection. What does this resurrection have to do with our lives now? And the resurrection is really, really important. I think it's an area that we often overlook. We kind of maybe tend to focus a little bit more on the cross and the crucifixion and all of these things. And often we, we really kind of say, yeah, the resurrection happened. And then we kind of move on from it. But, I mean, if Christ is alive and we're united to him in his life, we need to really ask the question, well, what does that mean? How? What benefit is it to us that he is alive? Let's look at verse 8. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Okay, this is one of the most important truths in all of Scripture, that we are alive with him. And that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered death and sin and Satan, conquered those things, and we're united to him in that, somehow we are conquerors with him. We'll see more of that in, in, in Romans 8. But in some way, we are united with him as he's conquered those things. Now, we read other parts of Scripture. We know that those things haven't come to fruition yet. When we die or Jesus comes back, we'll be glorified. We'll, be, we'll, be, we'll have that perfect righteousness again as we're with him. And then we'll, have, we'll be fully conquerors with him. So this is, have this already but not yet idea. But there are some aspects of this we now have. Um, if you are a follower of Jesus, he lives in you. Through the power of his spirit, he is living inside of you and he's operating and he's active and he's helping you and he's aiding you and he's allowing you to do the things that God's calling us to do, to love the things that God loves. He lives in us in this very moment if you are a follower of Jesus. So what this means is we can have power, we can have victory over the power of sin. I think that just that phrase is really important. Those of you who are who are fighting and who are struggling with sin, maybe addictions, and you feel half the time you're just getting beat up by this thing. I think knowing that Christ has died for that sin, Christ has experienced victory over that sin that you're fighting against, and he is giving you the power and the strength to continue to fight. Now, some things are dealt with sooner than others, and this may be a lifelong fight and struggle for you. But the fight is what we need to pay attention to. We have the ability to fight and we will have victory over it eventually. Either this side of heaven or that side of heaven. We will have victory. But the Holy Spirit is in us and he's active and he's helping us fight sin and fight for freedom and joy right now. And then in verse 10, he says that the life he now lives, he lives to God. This is Jesus. The life he now lives, he lives to God. So for us, the life we now live we live to God. So when we talk about glorifying God, finding freedom and, jo- <coughs> freedom and joy in Jesus, and that leading to glorifying God, that's what he's talking about here. We live our lives unto God the same way Jesus lives his life unto God as he is resurrected. There's a final verse here, verse, verse 11. This is all we're going to look at today. We're going to come back next week and do part two, verses 12, 13, and 14. But uh, there's a break here. Paul kind of addresses that question he asked in verses 1 and the answer in 2. He kind of reviews it in a way saying, So, based off of all that, remember, you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it's a death to sin, but it's also alive to God in Christ Jesus. So verses 3 through 10 there talked about union, that we've been united to Christ in his death and resurrection. And and what does that mean? He's saying in verse 11, it means that we should consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Okay, and so the the way this works is that that it says consider that. This is the first time in this passage where Paul's really saying, here's something you can do. Here's something you should do. You should consider. Consider. It's, 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 It's remembering, thinking about, dwelling upon, meditating on. Consider. Consider what's happened. Consider the fact that you've died 
to sin. You've united. You're united with him in his death. Therefore, you've died. You're united to him in his resurrection. That means he's alive in you and you're new creations and you're living this new life. And the grace that he's shown us in reconciling us to himself is still operating in us today, now. It's giving us the power to fight sin. It's giving us the, 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 the power to find enjoyment and freedom in who God is and who Jesus is. This, this grace is, is allowing us to have this new life lived unto God. So as we meditate and consider God's grace, and we just like bask like in the warmth of the Father's love, and just, just let our minds wander to how, how, how much the Father loves us and who we are now. And as you picture the Father, God the Father looking down upon you, it's just this, if we can give give. God a face for a moment and, 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 and a fatherly face, but to, to, that he's got this just look of, of just pleasure and this look of he, he's proud and he loves that you're his son or his daughter. That, that's the image we should have if we're Christians of God. And if we have that image of God and if we're basking in his, in his, in his love and, and the grace that he's shown us, that right there will give you a lot of ammo to fight sin. If, you can, if, if that, your mind is fixed on that and, and you recall that image, sin will lose its power really quick because you're going to want the things the Father wants. You're going to want to please the Father because the Father has shown you so much grace and mercy that you're going to be like, yes, Daddy, I trust you. I trust that you know what's good for me. I trust that you want what's best for me. And, and that is how the grace of God changes us now and changes us moving into the future. Later in Romans, um, Romans 8, 29, Paul says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, this is the important part, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this whole idea of salvation began it, it, with our justification, with, with Christ's um, life and death, and even his resurrection. The completion of this, where this is headed, is our being conformed into his image. Now that begins now after we become Christians, that the, the conforming process begins happening. That's what theologians call progressive sanctification. It's just a big word of, of over time, we're gonna look more and more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's doing that work inside of us. Grace is allowing that process to happen. But we will eventually, um, either when we die or Jesus returns, we will be conformed into his image completely. Okay? But on earth, we have to fight, we have to put some effort into it, and we have to seek his face, set our eyes upon him, and trust that the Spirit is going to conform us slowly over time more into his image. This doesn't happen overnight, um, especially in, in those areas that are really hard for us to, to, to deal with sometimes. Um, so that's the goal or the aim of the salvation is, is conforming to the image of Christ. And to say this another way is that it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's okay to come to Jesus as you are. Come to Jesus as you are, but it's not okay to stay that way. Meaning that like he, 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 wants, he wants to help you grow. He wants to use you. He wants to build you up. This grace that he shows you initially when you come to him, that's the same grace and power you're gonna have to grow up into him. That's the, the role of the church. It's the role of the family to we're all on this journey together. We're all one, desiring to be more conformed to his image, and we help each other get there. 
And we don't stay um, this way because of his grace and his mercy that he shows us in an ongoing, an ongoing way. One of the primary weapons we have in this fight for freedom and joy and fight against sin is thinking back to that idea of, of Christ's imputed righteousness or that idea of that, right, that Christ's righteousness, his perfect righteousness was credited to us. It was given to us. And so when we remember this, we remember that it's not our righteousness that's saving us. Um, it, there's a lot of freedom that comes to that. And, and here's one example that may help you from just my story. Um, one of the things that gives me the most trouble and a lot of my, my sin that com- comes in my life comes out of the, kind of this root of really wanting people to approve of me and people to think high of me based off of what I do. It's kind of approval through accomplishment, okay? So when I, when I see these emotions coming into my life, like anxiety, stress, fear, guilt, shame, I, I know pretty quickly the root is that righteousness is not working. Like, like I'm, 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 because if, if that's my, if that's my um, operating plan there and, and, and I'm, I'm trying to get approval from others to what I achieve, then every day it's all about there's going to be fear. It's what, what do they think of me? How am I perceived? What do I need to do to make this person like me or to make this person respect me? And it's just this ongoing fear and stress and anxiety of, uh, which causes me to, to, to work and work and work and work and, and, and try to achieve and achieve and achieve, and it's exhausting. And then when I fail, when I fail at something, it's, it's, it's kind of crushing and the shame and the guilt that I, am, I don't measure up. They, maybe they don't like me because I'm not perfect or I, don't, I didn't reach the standard I wanted to reach. So I'm, I feel shame and I feel guilt. And then when I have success, I'm prideful, self-righteous. I'm proud of myself because I'm the one who did it. I'm a hard worker. I achieved that. You're liking me and that feels good because of, some, because of my hard work. So God's not, God's not getting any glory from that. I'm robbing God of his glory that I should be giving him. All because I have this righteousness, this thing that I, the, the thing that I find most valuable is people's approval through what I do. So that's my righteousness. And so what helps me is to remember that I'm a son of heavenly father who's all powerful, who said to me, I am proud of you. I accept you. I sent my son to the cross on your behalf so you could be brought into my family and not need to do this performance righteousness anymore. You don't need to look for righteousness there because I've given you the perfect righteousness. And when I really think about it, thinking like, I really think people, other humans' approval is better than God the Father's approval. And that's the way I live sometimes, but that's ridiculous. To, to, to just meditate. And this is that idea we have to consider, we have to think about, we have to meditate on what is it like to be approved by God the Father? Like, like, like we have to taste that and we have to, to, to again, sit in that. And, and that, that sin for me of that approval through, through achievement, it'll start to lose its power over me. And I've had really good seasons and I still have really bad seasons. And that's probably going to be a fight I have to fight for the rest of my life. And that is that idea of fighting for this and trusting the Holy Spirit and God's grace is, is working in me while I do the things like considering and setting my eyes on Jesus and reading the word and praying. As I do these things, the Spirit and trusting that the Spirit is conforming me into his image as time 
goes on. Uh, John Piper has this quote. I really, really like it. It sums up a lot of what we're talking about. He says, you cannot fight sin successfully until you know your sin is forgiven. Okay? You cannot fight sin successfully until you know your sin is forgiven. The only sin that you can triumph over in practice is a sin that Christ has died for. If he had not died to take away our condemnation, we could make no progress at all in our sanctification. So to truly have the power to overcome any sin, we have to believe that Christ has already died for that sin. And we are not condemned for that sin. And we have to believe that. And we go back to his life, death, and resurrection. Go back to the grace found in the gospel to give us the strength and the power and the confidence to overcome sin in the present, okay? So I want to give, as we close this up, I want to give three kind of very practical, I think, things that you all can take away. And I really think this, this is a good summary, as I've been thinking about it, of really the Christian life. Um, if you're going to have a, a, a three things to do consistently in, in your life, these are three really good things. The first is what Paul's asking us to do in this passage— Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Or consider the grace you've been shown. Or consider your new identity found in the gospel. Just consider. Think about. Let your mind wander to that place. That's number one. Number two, set your eyes and mind on the things of God. Things of the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like the more our eyes and our minds are set on him, the more we're going to understand the depths of his love for us and the more we're going to be able to fight for freedom and joy and experience freedom and joy. I really do think the more we, we let our minds go there, the more that we are able to, to really experience freedom and joy. And this primarily comes in the way of spending time in the word. There's other things as well, but really time in the word this is where we meet with God. This is where we understand his character and understand his love and really understand who he is and all of those things. Okay, so we have to set our eyes upon God. This is why we talk about having daily quiet time. That's not just a cool little thing that we Christians like to do. It, it's, it, this is a battle. And so that's, that's gearing up for the battle when we sit down in the presence of God and have that time. It, it helps us prepare for the fight that lays before us. We're, we're, under, we're knowing God. We're, we're drawing closer to him as we do that. So consider your, that consideration. Set your eyes and mind on the things of God, primarily in his word. And then third, ask the spirit to consistently do these two things. Because here's the deal. Like we still have this flesh. We still have these things that's gonna fight against even doing those two things. We're gonna get distracted. We're gonna find things that eat up our time that, aren't as, as, as beneficial as time with the word. That, that's, that's the world we live in. So we constantly want to be asking the spirit through prayer, change me, cause me to want to spend time in the word. Bring to mind this idea that I've been changed, that my old self is dead and I'm alive to Christ now. Spirit, bring this about in me. Help me believe these things, okay? These are the kind of prayers we should be praying. So consider just be, bring it back to your mind. Set your mind or your eyes and mind on the things of God and ask the Spirit through prayer to consistently do these two things. And I think if you do those three things consistently over a long period of time, I think you're, we're going to experience more freedom and joy and be able to fight sin to a greater degree. Now, 
to, to close today, um, I want us to, to pray together. And, and here's how I've set this up because that third piece there, I want to go ahead and apply that if we're going to pray and ask God to do this. Um, there's a prayer that I've picked out from this book of, of, of prayers of, of the Puritans. So you can kind of tell some of the language um, is a little dated. Uh, but this is a really good prayer, and it's really focusing on this idea. He's praying and he's recalling um, his standing before God. He's recalling that. He's thinking about that. He's considering that. Um, and so now he's praying that that idea would change him. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. Um, feel free to bow your head, and you can like just listen as I read it, or you can read and follow along with me um, on the screen. So let me read. This is called Belonging to Jesus. It says, O Heavenly Father, teach me to see that if Christ has pacified you and satisfied divine justice, he can also deliver me from my sins. That if Christ does not desire me, now justified, to live in self-confidence of my own strength, but gives me the law of the spirit of life to enable me to obey you. That the spirit and his power are mine by resting on Christ's death. That the spirit of life within answers to the law without. That if I sin not, I should thank thee for it. That if I sin, I should be humbled daily under it. That I should mourn for sin more than other men do. For when I see, I shall die because of sin that makes me mourn. When I see how sin strikes at you that makes me mourn. When I see that sin caused Christ's death, that makes me mourn. That sanctification is the evidence of reconciliation, proving that faith has truly apprehended Christ. I bless you that I am yours in my Savior, Jesus. Let's pray to close our time. Father, I, um, again, I thank you for your word. I just pray that we're a people that would consider um, that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. And that it's only through his righteousness that we are made right with God, through Christ's righteousness that we are made right with God. It's not through our own moral effort. It's not through the law. It's not through keeping the commandments. The way that we are reconciled to the Father is through the righteousness of Christ. And I, I pray that our minds think about that. Our, I pray that, that your spirit helps us recall those things daily in our lives because that is the most powerful weapon we have to experiencing freedom and joy. I pray we're a people that over time fall in love and, and have a desire for your word that we want, we, we've tasted, we've tasted it so we want to come back more and more to, to drink from these living waters. I pray that we'd be people who would have our eyes and our mind fixed upon you throughout our day. And I'd be, I pray that we'd be a people who are dependent upon your spirit and humbly are asking you to, to bring this about in us. As we set up these things, as we, as we kind of try to form good habits into our lives that are going to lead to freedom and joy, I pray that all the while that your spirit would be working inside of us, would be conforming us into your image. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to move into a time of, of communion now. Um, before Jesus went to the cross, he took bread and he broke it with his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. That's what the bread represents. He took a cup, 
And he said, this, this liquid contained in this cup, this cup represents my blood. Blood that was shed for your sins that would cover your past, present, and future sins if you have faith in him. And I, I want to just, um, I think there's maybe a few different kinds of groups of people um, in here. And, and I want us to, this is a response time. This is a chance for us to respond to the word. And so I want to help you by, by leading you down a few paths here, depending on who you are. I think uh, some of you in this room, and I'm, I'm almost guaranteed that, that you are really struggling right now with guilt, with shame, with um, anxiety, worry, that maybe you're just not good enough, that you're still living under the law and the law is crushing you because you cannot perfectly keep the law. And what I want you to remember in this moment is that, is, is that the, if you have faith and, and trust and believe in him, remember the face of the Father. What's the faith, face of the Father towards you right now? He's proud of you. Zephaniah, a little book in the Old Testament, says that God is singing over. He sings over his children. God the Father is singing over you if you are in him. And allow that to cause you to, 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 to um, not be shame, not feel shame anymore, not feel guilt anymore. You can freely bring those things to God and truly leave them there. Jesus has died for those things. And he wants to deliver and heal you from, from those things, I believe, today. And I know like me, we get on this treadmill of of. of of life, and, we, and we, we crank that thing up and run and run and run and run and run and just try to keep up with it so we don't fall off the treadmill. And that is not the Christian life. It's not the way it's supposed to look. And so I encourage you to, to in the space we're going to provide, to think about the Father's love for you. He didn't, he didn't save you to put you on a treadmill. He saved you to bring you into his arms, and he loves you. And then you get to respond by living and loving the things he loves as you go throughout life, but not on a treadmill. There's some of you in here maybe that are, that um, maybe aren't really believing who you are now. Like you're settling for the things you settled for maybe before you met Christ. Maybe you're the person who um, God has, God has God the Father wants you to experience what's the best for you. He's saying, look at, look at, look at everything I have planned for you. This, this is where you'll find satisfaction. This is where you'll find freedom and joy. Not in those things. You'll find him here. I know for me and, and being a father of, of my little boy, Jax, like I, I want the best for him. And I'm going to, to, to show him and remind him, this is a good way for you to go because this you'll experience freedom and joy here. This is not the way to go to experience freedom and joy. I'm not trying to steal your joy. I'm actually trying to show you where the better joy and the and greater freedom is found. So maybe that's you this morning. You just need to be reminded that this is a fight and you're going to have to fight a little bit for freedom and joy. You may need to repent of maybe some, some sin that you're just kind of been laissez-faire about and you just don't care as much anymore about. But I encourage you there to, to, to think of, again, the Father wants what's best for you wants to give you the life and have victory over sin. So take confidence in that and get back in the fight. So I want you to 
think about that when we have some space here. And if you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I encourage you to think about and, and, and process what God's grace is. Like, what is that? And, and, and the fact that, that it, it is offered to, to you, this, this idea that you can be reconciled to God and that the wrath of the, that God has towards, towards um, humanity that, that doesn't have faith and trust in him, that, that that wrath can be taken away through faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he has done. And so that's something very serious to ponder and think about. And if you are believe that and have faith in that and trust that, you can come forward and take communion, maybe for the first time. Um, but if you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus um, and, and, and you, you just need some more time to think and process and wrestle and ask questions, that's okay. We want this to be a safe place for you to ask questions. But I encourage you to talk to someone. Um, uh, process your doubts with someone. I, I'll, I'll go to lunch or coffee or something with you to talk through doubts if you want that. But if that's you, then, then I encourage you to stay where you are. This communion and the Lord's Supper that we're about to take is, is for Christians only. And so take a couple of minutes. Pro, if, just think about the, what maybe group of people you're in that I've mentioned and, and, and respond in the way that's appropriate for you by thinking about the Father and his grace and his mercy and his love. Take a few minutes. We have two stations up here and a station in the back whenever you're ready.